sort of the title of this is the beginning of missions, but the subtitle is Barnabas and Saul are going to blaze a trail for all missionaries. Um, and uh, uh, they're going to do things that have never been done before. And they're going to encounter things that, that every missionary and every church planner and every person who steps out by faith and becomes a man on a mission or a woman on a mission. Um, these two are going to set the pace and going to teach us a lot of things. So this is the beginning of missions, right? Now, the first missionary was not Barnabas and Saul. The first missionary was Jesus. He left his home, came to a foreign country, to a foreign world, to us. And how did they treat him? Pretty bad. Okay, so don't get high hopes. Man, if I become a missionary, I'll be famous. No, you may be infamous, but you won't probably be famous. So Acts chapter 13, let's start off here and uh, just read these three verses together here. Uh, just quietly while I read aloud. Now, there were in the church that was in Antioch certain prophets and teachers. And I'm going to look at the list. There are five names listed. It's Barnabas was one of them. Simeon, that was called Niger. Lucius of Cyrene and Menaean, which had been brought up with Herod, with Herod the Tetrarch. And lastly, Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereinto I have called them. When they had fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them and they sent them away. Now, in the church at Antioch, there were two men who were singled out to go on a special mission. Mission. They were Barnabas and Saul. It's kind of like the first James Bond. Okay, these guys have a special mission that they're going to be sent on, and uh, it wasn't a secret mission, but it was very important and very dangerous as well. They were called by the Spirit of God to go. They were called not for the money. You know, most people, you know, look at what they like to do and they think, can I make money at it? And that's a good question, you know. Um, uh, you know, when you, when you start a career, you need to make money at it. Uh, but they were called to, to do something that was just, that was necessary for the world to learn about Jesus. The same Holy Spirit, let me stop there for a second before we go through their calling. And I want to talk about the, the, the person who called them. As Weston said, the Holy Spirit calls us. Do you remember the Holy Spirit called Moses to do an impossible task? Holy Spirit said, Moses, I want you to go. I know you you ran and you fled from Pharaoh. I want you to march right back in there and face them head to head, toe to toe, eye to eye. And I want you to tell them, let my people go. You'll do fine, Moses. And Moses went, no way. And that's the call of God. Same Holy Spirit, they called a shepherd boy named David to become king. That is the call of God. God takes you as you are, and boy, can he do great things with you. Remember, it's the same Holy Spirit that called Jonah to go to Nineveh, and Nineveh tried to run away, and God, got a, God has an, a long arm, just like my mother did. My mom's this high, but her arms are 15 feet long. He called these two men to do a special work. Let's go to Matthew. I neglected to read this first uh, before we, we went on to the calling there. Matthew 28. Hold your place there. And in Matthew 28, let's listen to what the Holy Spirit is calling these men to do. Matthew chapter 28, and verse 19. Remember, the Holy Spirit and Jesus, God the Father, are one. So they're going to give the same call and listen to the call. Matthew 28, verse 19. 
Jesus said, go ye therefore and teach all nations. That's a lot of people. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Ghost. That's a lot of water. Teaching them to observe all things. That's a lot of things to teach. Whatsoever I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you all way. We'd say all the way. That's a lot of ground to cover. Even unto the end of the world. Amen. These men, as we go back to Acts, were called to do just that. To leave where they're at, to leave whatever they're doing, and do something different now. To go. To go wherever people were that had not heard of Jesus. Paul said his burden was to go where Christ had not been named yet. It's wonderful to talk to somebody who's a Christian. I love that. I love meeting and finding another Christian. I got notified on uh, Messenger today that somebody's been listening to my radio program. And it just encouraged me that there's another Christian. And, and I praise God. But uh, it's nice when an unsaved person discovers your radio station and listening to the gospel, listen to the, the hymns. When you're talking, you see, Christians are great to be around, but we've got to go. We can't just have church here. We've got to be church so the world hears what we know. So go and to teach. You need to teach the world about sin and about consequences to sin, how to be saved from the coming wrath of God. Are you up to teaching the gospel? Could you explain if somebody says, how do you get to heaven? Could you actually explain it to them? All Christians need to be able to teach what the Bible, you don't have to teach everything in the Bible, but there, man, if you know three verses, you know three more than most people. So learn to be able to teach, go and teach and baptize them. You baptize new believers, um, they get saved and then you get baptized and then they join the church and then they get busy. That's the process. There's no secret handshake, you know. There's just, this is what we do following the Lord Jesus. Baptizing, as a matter of fact, as I said, remember, we have a baptism next Sunday right after church. So if you have not been scripturally baptized, see, I was baptized as a baby. You didn't even get wet. Baptism is full immersion and not by babies. You have to have repented and believed the gospel yourself. Then you get baptized. Okay, you say, well, I'm not sure. Well, talk to me. Because if, if there's something you're supposed to do and you don't do it, what do we call that? Sin. So baptize new believers, and they're going to go, and they're going to train every believer. And folks, let me tell you, a lot of people say, well, I'm saved. Isn't that enough? And it's not. It's as if saying somebody says, uh, I signed up for the boxing, and that's all I need, right? Can I just get into the ring? You're going to die. You're going to need to be trained. You're going to need to learn how to keep standing. One rule of how you win in boxing is you remain standing just 10 seconds longer than the other guy. <laughs> and most Christians can't stand. That bothers me because we have a perfect Bible. We have tons of, of teaching and, and, and instruction, and yet when trouble comes, we just collapse. No, the purpose of New Testament Christianity is to get Christians to stand and having done all to stand. So there's training going on. Tonight, the workshop for marriage is training because what does the devil want to do? Destroy every marriage. And then you form a new church. You take those believers, put them together, put somebody in charge, and then you repeat the whole process. Go out there and find another group that hadn't heard about Jesus Christ. That is what these men are called to do. There's no improving on it. There's no way to make it better, easier. That's missionary work. We support seven of them in all kinds of different places all over the world. 
There are countless tens of thousands of missionaries all over the world. We get to support seven of them, but we're not putting a dent in the darkness in this world. Would you agree? We need some more. So verse four, let's go to Acts chapter 13. Let's pick up where we left off last week. Verse four. So they being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, they departed into Seleucia and from thence they sailed to an island called Cyprus. Now just, just stop there for a second there. Uh, these, these men were, they go to a place called Seleucia, which is up on the coast. They only went a couple of miles to, the, to a port city and they looked out and they just saw water. In what direction are you going to go? I have people, and it's an obvious question, how do I find God's will? Well, you almost can't go wrong because you know what God does? He guides you, but he guides you as you go. When you just sit and you wait and you twiddle your thumbs, you go nowhere and God's not going to guide you. As these men ministered and served and they were fasting, seeking to listen to whatever the Holy Spirit would tell them to do, and the Holy Spirit said, if you're listening, I want you to go. I'm not going to tell you where. Just get going and I'll guide you. And that is how most people miss the, the, the call of the Holy Spirit. They miss the will of God because they're waiting for some big letters in the sky. One guy said, I saw a G and a P. I guess it means go preach. And the Lord said, no, it means go plow. But you'd never know because you you just, listen, just try and serve people. Just try to serve the Lord. Just try to do something for God. And the Lord will, like a ping pong ball, go, no, go this way. <laughs> no, go that way. So deciding the will of God, they went there and they decided to go to the isle island of Cilicia, uh, or Cyprus. I'll get there in a second. Um, and um, let me get over there. Um. This is an island that's 200 kilometers long and only 50 kilometers wide. Very kind of a small enough island. And they didn't go for a holiday. They just, end, they just headed off west. And it's kind of unusual when you follow the book of Acts and you see the way that the gospel works. In general question, the general direction is west by northwest. And it's been going that way for the last 2,000 years, and it's ending up back east and coming back around to Israel, and all the world's attention is back on that one little piece of property right there. It's funny how the gospel went from Jerusalem up to Antioch and then west, and it's been going west. It went up through Europe and then England and then America and South America, and now it's coming, knocking on the door of China. There are um, uh, so many opportunities there in the, in the far east in Asia, and it's coming back to this nation one more time because in the future, in the tribulation, what one nation is God going to win above all? It'll be the Jews. He'll bring his people back. He says, I have not abandoned you. If, I, if the sun could stop shining, if the earth could stop spinning, if the moon could not shine anymore, then I would abandon you. God said he would not abandon his people. He's coming back to that nation and bringing them back to God. So while they were on Cyprus, they preached coast to coast. They landed in Salamis, and then they kept going, kept going, and they ended up in a town called Paphos. Look there in um, uh, verse 5. When they were at Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. That was an obvious place to start. And they also had John to their minister. Well, that's kind of that's nice. 
Because if you remember, back in Acts chapter 12, there's a prayer meeting going on because a man was in prison about to be beheaded. What was the man's name? You might remember? Peter. And while Peter was in prison, the church in Jerusalem, tens of thousands of people are praying, but there was one house and it was one woman. She didn't, her husband wasn't there, whether he was dead or gone, I don't know. And she had one young son named John Mark. And as they were praying, somebody knocks on the gate and says, hey, let me in. And Rhoda, remember her, she comes and says, Peter's out, Peter's free. And they didn't believe him. Well, that, that prayer meeting and that single answer to prayer changed his life. From that moment, he said, I want to serve God. Amen. You'd be surprised at what God can do in a prayer meeting more than I can preach my heart out. People just look at me like owls. But here is John Mark. He's affected by answer to prayer. And there he is. He's not called to be a missionary. He just wants to help. He just wants to win souls. He wants to minister. You know what? Missions needs all kinds of people. Missionaries are few. Laborers are few. They need help. They need volunteers. And here's Mark coming along to help Barnabas and Saul the way he, uh, any way that he could. And then there's a spiritual confrontation. Have you ever noticed whenever you try to get to, to church early, the car won't start. The cooker won't light. The, the electricity shuts off. The kids have a fight. It's just whenever you try to get early to church or you say, you know, I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to read four chapters a day. This year, you'll go three days and then all of a sudden everything will fall apart and it'll be two weeks before you pick it up again. There is always a spiritual battle, a spiritual confrontation that occurs when you're trying to serve God. Look in verse six. And when they had gone through the aisle unto a city called Paphos, they found a certain, what's that word? Wow, Harry Potter is not that new, is he? They met a sorcerer. They found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus. What a name. Which was with the deputy of the country, a guy named Sergius Paulus, a prudent man who had called for Barnabas and Saul and desired to hear the word of God. Now, just, just hold there for a second. They'd not gotten very far in the, into missionary work when the devil tries to stop them. And a sorcerer means a wizard, okay? Uh, and, and we're going to learn this guy's name is Elimus, which also means wizard. He's not a magician. He's the real deal. Um, he's an ancient uh, Harry Potter, um, and he's uh, got incredible powers. As a matter of fact, this guy is demon-possessed. There's some people who are magicians, and they just do it by distracting you. You've ever seen somebody, and they pull a card out from from between their fingers or from beneath an ear, uh, from behind an ear, they got your attention on one hand while they do something with the other hand. It's just a sleight of hand. This guy doesn't trick anybody. This, this guy has power. He is demon-possessed. Uh, he probably channels voices from another dimension, but he's a false prophet, the Bible says. So this guy is constantly speaking about future events. And one of the unique things about Cyprus was and even is, is it has lots of earthquakes. And so he probably claimed that there's going to be an earthquake tomorrow at noon, and there was. And he says there'll be another one in three weeks. And so Sergius Paulus, he's a deputy there, which means he's like a TD. Um, he's, 
He's there and he asks, he says, I need you to work for me and to warn us when things are going to happen. Tell me when it's right to raise taxes. Tell me when it's do this. So Sergius got a cushy job, but he's a false prophet. He's a Jew, not a very good one. He's doing this kind of stuff. His name is Bar Jesus. Now, Bar is like Mick Jesus or O Jesus. It means the son of Jesus, which is a blasphemous name. He's actually claiming to have the power of salvation, just like Jesus. I am the son of salvation is what his name meant. But of all those things, he was a powerful influencer. And let me just stop there and let you realize the spirit of Elemas is still here today because that's what everybody's doing. I don't understand how 20 million people can follow the same dirtbag on Twitter. How people live to, to find out what, what somebody is saying. I read this week, Elon Musk has been quiet on Twitter for nine days. What is your life? <laughs> do you have anything else to do but track? I haven't seen anything from Elon Musk. Those are influencers, aren't they? Well, that goes way back here. This guy sought to influence the course of people's lives in that city and on that island. Wow. He was a, he was a powerful Ofer Winfrey of that day. But of all things, now, when you think of a wizard, you think of somebody like that, you know? But I don't believe he looked like that. I think he was very well-dressed. I think he was well-paid. I think he looked like a nice guy. As a matter of fact, the Bible says uh, the ministers of Satan are angels of light. They are good-looking guys. They wear white hats. They wear nice suits. They talk nice. They never upset anybody. Oh, yeah, they're politicians. Now, this guy, Sergius, he's unique. Look in verse 7 again. It says, which was with, this guy is along with this deputy of the country. Think of a TD. Uh, he's, his name is Sergius Paulus. I often call our Paul that. Um, he's a prudent man. And he called for Barnabas and Saul and desired to hear the word of God. Tell me what you're telling everybody else, he said, verse 8. But Elymas, the sorcerer, for so his name by interpretation, for so is his name by interpretation, he withstood them. He got right in and he says, No, stay out. Leave them alone. Don't listen to them. They're, they're, they're not real. He withstood them, seeking to turn away the deputy from the faith. Now, the point is here. Sergius was watching. You know, everything we do, here comes Barnabas and Saul, and they come and they're preaching. And there's a man over in a, in a government official building there, and he hears about them, and he hears bits and pieces. And you don't know who's listening to you give your testimony or hand a gospel tract to somebody. You never know where it's going to go, but people are watching. One of these days, they're going to call you into their office and say, what are you telling everybody? And there's your opportunity, man. That's what we forget is that we think, well, we can just be quiet as Christians. We can just get on our life and we won't cause any troubles. Just the fact you're saved, you will shine. Just the fact you're saved, people know you're different. So people are watching. And Sergius Paulus was watching and he was yearning. He had a spiritual hunger. There are always people who are watching. Make sure that they hear the good news. What do we normally talk about? Politics. What do we normally talk about? Gossip. Criticism. You know, in your home, if your kids told me what you talked about this week, you'd be embarrassed. I'd be embarrassed. 
because I find myself grumbling. And then I have to confess it and say, Lord, I'm sorry. But you know what? All those words got out. And there are other voices and other ears that are hearing. Sergius Paulus was watching and listening. And Elimaeus withstood him. Why? Because he's lost. He's, he's in the same grip that Elimaeus was. He's, he's a lost man. Here's uh, Elimaeus opposing Barnabas and Saul's preaching. He stood up and would interrupt them. Now, I've had that happen. It hadn't been long. It hadn't been a while. When I first started the church in Blarney, Man, I greeted everybody. I loved everybody that came to church until this one woman did. And she came, she stayed outside. She wouldn't come in until I tried to greet her and said hello and everything. Anyway, I said, well, you're welcome. Come on in. I started singing and um, uh, we greeted everybody. We broke for a cup of tea. She stood there the entire time and at the door. And uh, then when I got to preaching, she marched forward right in the middle and said, who gave you the right to use this for such, such a service? She began to give out to me for having church in a hall. And I said, uh, well, first it was God, but secondly, I got permission from the guard and from the guy who runs this thing. You want to talk to him? <laughs> oh, boy, it just upset the mood. And I said, would you like to sit down? She said, no, <laughs> and marched out. I said, okay. <laughs> it'll, it'll wake you up and realize not everybody likes you. Not everybody wants you there. Well, Elimaeus, he lied about them. He slandered them. He mocked them. He desperately wanted to keep Sergius Paulus from getting saved. That demonic spirit is around still today. You know, I'll be given the invitation. I'm going to step on some toes now. I'll be, we'll come. I'll everybody stand. It's time for invitation. And all of a sudden, you'll think, I got to go to the bathroom. That's demonic. Should have gone to the bathroom before church. <laughs> I know it's going to get quiet, Weston. But just when I'm making a point and going right on about the devil and exposing him, your phone will ring. So I got my own silence, the vibration, and all of a sudden your attention's off. You see how that works? So Elias withstood the work of the preaching of the gospel to keep somebody lost. That spirit is still here today, isn't it? And look at verse 9. In verse 9, Saul confronts Elimaeus. Then Saul, who's also called Paul, we're going to talk about that in a minute, he's filled with the Holy Ghost. He set his eyes on him. He goes, he goes eye to eye, toe to toe, um, uh, face to face with Elimaeus. Verse, uh, verse 10, and he said, Oh, full of all subtlety, that's lies, and all mischief, thou child of the devil. Thou enemy of all righteousness, wilt thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? Whew. I like Paul all of a sudden. <laughs> Normally it's been Barnabas and Saul, Barnabas and Saul. But Saul comes out of the woodwork here, man. This is where two worlds collide. One, the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of darkness. And it's like, you ever seen these guys who get ready to go boxing? The day before the boxing match, the two guys get a big uh, news media powwow. And what do they do? They just stand there looking at each other. I'm going to bring you down. You're going down. Oh, you're going down. That's where two massive forces meet just before they go into the ring. And that's what Paul is doing. He's not afraid of Elimus. 
in spite of, in spite of all the things that are wrong with Saul, and Saul's got a lot of rough edges. Saul's got two things going for him in his benefit. Number one, he's unafraid of demons. Now, that's hard to be. I'm not going to ever tell you don't be unafraid of them because you naturally will be, but you don't have to be. If you've ever had demonic attack or you've ever been under demonic oppression, you know what fear is. If you've ever seen anybody that was demon-possessed, you know how scary that is. And this man wasn't just somebody playing with, with, you know, uh, uh, with magic tricks. Elymas was the real deal, and Saul went straight up head-to-head -head with him and took him down. I'm going to talk about that in a second. So he was unafraid of demon-possessed people, even though they are the most... Uh, they are, uh, the most terrifying kind of people around. Secondly, Saul was burdened for a man's soul. Why, why bother with Elymas? Because of Sergius Paulus. He could have just said, not worth it. This guy's interrupting me. I think I'll just go somewhere else and preach. That's what you do when you want an easy ministry. That's what you do when you want it. Um, you know, you just don't want to ruffle any feathers. But he said, there is one soul, one man's soul in the balance. And if I don't, if I don't get this guy off of his throne and bring him under the dominion of the Lordship of Christ, if I don't defeat this power, Sergius is going to be lost forever. Now, at this point, I want to say something happens, which maybe you, it's in the parentheses, notice there. It says Saul has a name change, doesn't he? He becomes known as what? Now, you say, that's not a big deal. It was a big deal. Saul was his Hebrew name. Saul was his, his name. He was known as a Jew in all of Israel. They know, they knew of Saul of Tarsus. He's not the same man anymore. This was not the name he was given when he was baptized. No, this is the name that he accepts and takes on, I think, because of his encounter with this lost man who gets saved. I think Sergius Paulus becomes his hero, and he says, I'm going to take your name. Now, you have to understand what that name means. In Greek, the word for big is mega. And that's not what Saul wanted. He didn't want to wear that name. Guess what the opposite word for mega is? Paulus. Paul means little. He says, I'll take that name. Isn't that priceless? I want you to remember as a nobody. I want you to know me as a little guy. We always talk about the little guys, you know. Well, here's one who's going to do great things because he saw himself as he really should be as a nobody. Saul's name is changed to Paul. Now, how does Paul deal with this oppressive spirit, this, this demonic spirit? And this is very practical. I need you to take these four things down. I need you to know that you know that you know these things enough to start to remember them when you are under oppression. Number one, well, let's go back to verse 9, and we'll, 9 to 11. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Ghost, underline those five words. He set his eyes on him and said, O full of all subtlety and all mischief, thou child of the devil and thou enemy of all righteousness, wilt thou not cease to pervert the ways of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon thee. There's a power above you, bud. And thou shalt be blind, not seeing the sun for a season, and immediately there fell on him a mist and a darkness. 
And he went about seeking some, someone to lead him by the hand. I mean, he couldn't even go to the toilet without somebody helping him. Four things are in that scripture. Number one, he was filled with the right spirit. What was Elimaeus filled with? The wrong spirit. He's filled with the demonic spirit. There are people who don't realize the games they play on that stupid Xbox, the things that they watch on their Netflix and on their TV, the things that they listen to. I used to listen. Music back when I got saved was very clear. Black Sabbath. Um, I don't even like remembering all of these names. I better not go through them all. But, you know, there was uh, heavy metal music and stuff. Uh, Led Zeppelin used to give me shivers. I used to stay up all night listening to them in terror. Because I took those words and I listened to every word and it scared. Listen, you were either listening to dark music or when you got saved, you were listening to the light. And can I say this? I hope your home is filled with light. I hope you listen to godly music. Don't listen to 96 FM because it may not be as rough as Led Zeppelin. You don't even know who that is anymore, do you? But it is still deceptive and it is still dark enough to influence your family and turn them away from God and darken their hearts. Saul, now Paul, is filled, and I mean filled with the right spirit. Let's go to Ephesians. Hold your place here. Go to Ephesians chapter 5. I really believe most Christians crumble when dealing with demonic attack. You know why? Because they're trying to do things in their own strength. They're trying to just go through life without prayer, without reading their Bible, without being in church. Do you realize if you just do those three things faithfully, you're 90% ready for every battle. You say, oh boy, what do I got to do to prepare for the next attack? Be in church. It's not a big deal. Read your Bible every day. Pray about everything. Get to where you love praying all day long while you're driving, when you're between jobs, when you're cooking the meal. Just talk and walk with God. And you're 90% ready for every attack. When you're lazy and not worshiping and not reading your Bible and you're missing from church, the devil goes, another Christian to devour. Uh, Ephesians, I got to get there myself. Ephesians 5.18. Ephesians 5.18 says this. And be not drunk with wine. What is drunkenness? Filled with alcohol. Isn't that funny? Somebody starts to have a sip. That's not where you stop, is it? I'll have another. There is something about our flesh that loves to be filled with something. Well, you better choose to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be not drunk with wine, we're in his excess, but be filled with the Spirit. That means completely yielded to the Spirit of God and dependent upon him, praying constantly for his help. What do you pray for? I mean, when, 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 when there are problems in your life, ask for his help. That's where you're saying, Lord, I have nothing to offer. I can do nothing. You help me. Cry out for wisdom. Cry out to God for strength for courage, for joy. Then, and only then, can you and I effectively move to the next level, and that's wrestle. <laughs> that's wrestle within the enemy. So let me just say this. The next time you're in a heated argument with your parents or your wife, gentlemen, or your husband, ladies, make sure you stop, you humble yourself, and ask to be filled with the Spirit of God instead of that spirit of anger, that spirit of pride, that spirit of selfishness, and that spirit of defeat. 
Second thing he did was he wrestled. Now, remember, I don't, don't get the idea that Saul lunged at Elemas and began to drunk, take him down to the ground and wrestle him on the ground. No, no, no. That's a physical wrestling, and we don't fight that way, do we? How does a Christian wrestle? In another realm, in another dimension, in the spirit. There is, there is more to Elemas than just the man. There's a spirit behind him. And Saul wrestled that spirit in Elemas. Uh, go to second. Oh, let me, let me see. I want to go. Ah, Ephesians 6. Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12. It's funny. Guess who wrote Ephesians 6, 12? The same guy that experienced this encounter in Acts 13 with Elymas. Acts 6, uh, Ephesians 6, 12 says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. But who do we wrestle against? Against principalities. Those are called principal or powerful angels. Against powers. Not against people, but against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. The reason why our country is so dark is because Christians have let it get dark. We don't wrestle against the spirit behind Varadkar. We get upset at Varadkar. We get upset at our TD. When was the last time you prayed for your TD? We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Uh, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Back to the left a little bit, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Spiritual wrestling is a very different way of dealing with our enemies than using physical way. A whole lot easier just to swing a, a stick at somebody. It's another thing to pray for your enemy. Isn't that what Jesus said do? Wait a minute. Lord, I, I want to hurt my enemy. And the Lord says, eh, eh, that's my job. Watch this. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. What does carnal mean? It means fleshly, physical. But they are mighty through. What good is prayer? It's mighty through God. To the pulling down of a stronghold, something that, that has a grip on Elymas, something that has a grip on that entire city, to pulling down a stronghold. What do we do? Casting down even imaginations. When was the last time you had a thought and you went, that doesn't belong in there? Out, <laughs> casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. That is spiritual warfare. Married men, do you pray for your wife? I was the last time you sat there and you got up instead of just praying a quick prayer. Say, Lord, bless my wife, God. Help me be a better husband help me be a blessing to her but god keep her encouraged lord don't let me discourage her god give me the strength to go and apologize lord bless my wife don't let the devil discourage her don't let the devil get at her don't let the devil uh, 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 turn her heart away from walking with you god bless my wife that's how you fight the spirit behind that angry woman some of you got it Ladies, works the other way around too. Your husband's a grouch on the couch, holding on to the money pouch. <laughs> he didn't give me any money. Pray for him. I don't understand it. I want to take a big stick to somebody, man. 
I want to take a shovel and dig their grave, man. Come on, you're going in here. <laughs> That's what I want to do. But the Holy Spirit says, pray, wrestle with the spirit behind them. And that's what soul does, man. Look what he does. Back there in Acts chapter 13, he exposes Elymas, exposes the spirit. You know, a Bible believer, uh, there are people who will pay tons of money to go to a counselor, and they're not wrong, let me tell you, when the Bible gave it to you for free. You know, this book is the only book that tells you about things that people are studying still today and can't figure out. See, an unsaved counselor believes in two parts of you. They believe in your soul, and they believe in your body. And they believe in chemical reactions, and they believe in emotions. And that's it. But the Bible says there's a third part of you called the spirit. And when those things are all mixed up, there's no way to figure out how to make it work without the Bible. And a Bible believer, whew, man, we know the heart of every man, woman, and child. We know what's in us. Every counselor for the last 50 years has said, Oh, we're all basically good. Now they're finally admitting uh, we weren't right. This Bible is exposing. I already know what George Soros is planning. I know exactly what he's planning. Man, the Bible tells me one world government, one world currency without cash, one world religion. That's Soros's dream. I already read about it. It's 2,000-year-old history book. So Paul exposes just how dark this man was on the inside. Back there in Acts 13, look at verse 10. He gets pretty strong. He says, oh, full of all subtility. That's a Genesis 3 word. What was it it said about the serpent? He was more subtle. Right on that word, political. <laughs> Would never tell you what he really means. He's a liar. He's full of lies. It's full of mischief. Mischief is an old word. It just means causing hurt, mayhem, and damage. I have found that most of politics has never helped anybody in the last 50 years. All these progressive uh, decisions they make for the betterment the, of society and for helping the poor have only made more poor and made a society that wants to eat itself. Politicians don't know what they're doing. Exposed Elymas as a child of the devil. Now, Jesus talked like that in John 8, 44. What did he say to those Pharisees? You're of your father, the devil. <laughs> I mean, that's rough. Oh, Jesus was so nice. He had sometimes some flame. He called him an enemy of everything that was right. I, I just find, uh, I, I'm okay, you see, are you harping on politics? No, I'm just showing you. The, the, the world that we live in is still struggling with the same problems. Poli have you noticed that almost all of politics is against everything that is right? It's funny. It bothers me that almost everybody in politics is the enemy of marriage. They are the enemy of childhood innocence. They are the enemy of freedom of speech. They are the enemy of Christianity. Christians, you're, the, you're upset at us. Why don't you go after the guys that are killing they're the enemy of morality. They're in the, the enemy of punishing equal to the crime. I read most, if not, if not almost all, murderers are out of jail in less than seven years here in Ireland. That's not punishment. 
Oh boy, I tell you what, if a Christian's out there preaching and upsetting some homosexual, he'll be in for 12. He exposed Elymas. Finally, as a perverted man, he had a perverted spirit, perverted the right ways of the Lord. People are praised for living together instead of getting married. Teachers pervert young children in schools. It used to be teachers would protect their children. Now teachers have been hired, and you can be quiet all you want, and you get upset at me all you want, and I can get all kinds of flame. Let me tell you, teachers used to protect children. Now they are perverting them in Ireland, and we're not upset about it. Some of us are. And he calls that spirit, he says, you're a pervert, you're a perverter. And then Paul does something. He judges Elymas. Verse 11, he says this, and now behold the hand of the Lord. He doesn't have any power. Paul doesn't. He says, the hand of the Lord is upon thee, and thou shalt be blind, not seeing the sun for a season. I think this is such poetic justice. This is so beautiful. Watch this. He says, you're going to be blind for a season. And immediately there fell on him a mist and a darkness, and he went about seeking some to lead him by the hand. Now, what does Paul do? Does he sentence him to hell? I commit you to hell. No, I don't do that, does he? That's really unique to me. A Christian doesn't want anybody to, hell, to go to hell, do we? Nobody says, you need to face the consequences. The Lord Jesus needs to show you who's boss. So he pronounced blindness on him. It was fitting because remember Saul on the road to Damascus? What happened to him? Three days of blindness helped him a lot, didn't it? He says, you know what you need? Same thing I got. <laughs> you need a little humility. You need a little bit of humility. You've been walking around saying, I can see the future. I can see what we need to do. I can tell you what you need. And the Lord says, you're as blind as a bat. And that man's going around, I got to go to the toilet. Help me find the toilet. This blindness was showing everyone that Elymas was nothing compared to the power of the Lord Jesus. I wish you realized your life, as messed up as it is, demonstrates that power now. If you just accept it, if you just believe that you're free. I think this actually led to Elymas getting saved. We don't know that he ever did or not. But you know, a little humility go a long way to somebody saying, I guess I need Jesus. Now, there's something here that we need to do with every temptation, every demonic attack that we face. Here's an example. You're tempted to get angry. Somebody's done something and that anger wells up for all the wrong reasons. There, is, there are times you do need to get angry. But there are times where you know, I'm just angry. Well, expose that anger as being from hell. You know what the Bible says in James? James chapter 1, verse 20 says, The wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. You're not helping God out by you being angry. Expose it as a lie that it will actually do any good. Paul called that man a liar, called that spirit a lying spirit. And when you get this desire to just be angry and just let loose, remind yourself, that's a lie. This will not help. This is going to make it worse. Expose it as being destructive. Bring mischief. Do you you got to realize, I'm just using anger there. You can use any kind of temptation, whether it's lust, pornography, whether it's depression, anything that has a grip of your life in your home, if you look at it as, that's 
destructive. As much as if I went, I mean, you know, uh, we drove up to uh, Newry a couple weeks back, and we, we were up there. And as soon as we crossed the border with Northern Ireland, we saw all these shops that sold fireworks. And, and I thought, boy, these guys love fireworks. <laughs> we do too down in Cork, but we can't get them. But can you imagine the danger of bringing one of these big sticks of fireworks into your home, and letting your kids play with it? Or lighting it and just throwing it into the sitting room while everybody's watching television. You wouldn't do that, would you? Why don't you throw it into your bed where your wife is sitting? And yet we'll walk in and we'll blare with the anger with the same force and the same power as if it was a firework or a bomb. We got to realize, just using one temptation there, to get angry when it's not right, I've got to see it as destructive. Then I need to expose it as perverted, as something that is given to me by hell and by the devil. And I'm proud in my pride. I'm proud in my lust. I'm proud in my, in my wrath. I'm proud in my, my um, uh, complaining. I think I'm right. And I realize that's from hell. You see, how Paul dealt with this is how we deal with whenever there's a spirit that comes on us or comes against us and pulls us down and tries to have dominion over us, we say, wait a minute, hold on, hold on. <laughs> I need to get filled with the spirit because I cannot resist this in my own spirit. Do you know the last thing you need to do when somebody's angry is tell them to not be angry? <laughs> Good luck. Yeah. No, that person who's struggling with that thing needs to be the one that says, I need to be filled with the Holy Spirit because right now I'm filled with anger. It works with depression, lust, covetousness, complaining. It works with all temptations. Then you need, the last thing you need to do is you need, uh, you need to send that anger, that feeling back to the darkness where it belongs. You know, when you bring something to the light, what happens to something that's dark? It disappears. So maybe you need to just confess it. You're getting angry. Confess to your wife, I got angry. I'm sorry. You know what you just did? The devil has to walk back because he doesn't have a grip on you anymore. You brought it to the light. Send that anger back to hell where he went. Now there's some results that happen. Look at verse 12. Then the deputy, when he saw what was done, he believed. Isn't that awesome? Being astonished at the doctrine of the Lord. Now the first thing, there are two things that happened. Number one, it convinced Sergius of the truth of Jesus. Not just the power of Jesus, but the truth of his words, the doctrine of him. Sergius became convinced that Jesus is Lord. That's a good thing to believe. You know, I know some people who get saved not believing that Jesus is Lord. That bothers me. I want him to save my soul, but I don't want him to run my life. That's weird. He believed that Jesus is alive. That, you got to believe that, folks. If you're going to be saved, you're going to be born again. You need to believe that Jesus died, buried, and is alive today. He believes in the doctrine of the Lord Jesus. He believes that Jesus should be feared and not elemus and not demons. And he believes that Jesus should be followed. He's convinced. And that's why we've got to deal with the spirits of this age. I, you, you know, 
you may not understand why. And I, I rarely, today seem to be very political, okay? But I rarely bring politics in or current events or stuff. But there's some times when I need to do that. Why? Because we have to deal with the spirit of this day. Because people are not going to get saved until this spirit is exposed. And we decide which side we're on. Because there's, some, there's another uh, effect or result. Look at verse 13. Now, when Paul and his company loosed, so they get on a boat from Paphos and they head off to the next destination. They came to Perga in Pamphylia and John, departing from them, returned where? It scared John Mark. You know, spiritual warfare is real. And oftentimes it's overwhelming. It was a little bit too much for, for Mark, I think. Things weren't as rosy and as easy as he thought they were going to be. I mean, he thought he was going to be with some missionaries. He thought he was just going to see souls saved. He thought, wow, we left Jerusalem behind. There's, there's no real persecution now. It's going to be easy sailing. In <laughs> and when you, uh, Wesson will tell you, Tony will tell you, anybody who goes out on the street or goes door knocking, you get to talking, Bill will tell you, you go, you talk to somebody at the door, you're full of vim and vigor. You feel like you're 25 years old and you're talking to them and they come back at you and you show them scripture and you answer their questions and you're working with them and you're loving them and you're, you're encouraging them to just trust Christ. And 45 minutes later, you're walking away and you feel like you're 90 because you are in a spiritual battle. And it, and it just, some people are like, I'll never do that again. Man, that wore me out. No, don't do that. That's what John Mark did. John said, I can't handle this. This isn't what I signed up for. And he quits. Do you know it is easy to quit? It is easy to quit marriage. It's easy to quit a job. It is easy. It's, it's hard to get people to want to work. And, and Saul here, you find about it later, Saul sees John Mark as a Failure. Now that's the fault of Saul. I want you to understand that. But I think John Mark saw himself as a failure too. Because when he when he sees Paul and Barnabas get on that ship and head to the next destination, and he walks all that path back to Cilicia and then back across over to the mainland, or, and then walks, uh, takes the boat back over and then walks all the way back to Jerusalem alone. Think about how he felt. Big F. However, you're sign F. <laughs> Boy, but you know what? Just a few chapters, Barnabas catches up with John Mark, encourages him. And John Mark notices something. There's something that affects John Mark. And I have to say this because I don't know who needs this, but I needed it. John Mark sees, I can never be like Paul. I can never be like Barnabas. I, I'm not a soul winner. I'm not a preacher. I just want to help. And I fail even at that. I can't even get into the spiritual warfare. And here I am, a loser, a failure. I'm back home at mom's house. I don't even have a, my own house. Barnabas finds him just a little while and encourages him and says, what is the Lord asking you to do? And you know what John Mark will remember? Sergius Paulus, a Gentile who did not have the gospel in a book because John Mark is the first writer of, of the Gospels 
and he writes the Gospel of Mark. And I think he felt burdened that, you know, Sergius, he needs to read what Jesus said. And it's because of Barnabas picking him up and saying, why don't you still serve God? Don't worry about being like me. Why don't you just serve God? I think that is awesome. Because don't try to be like Pastor Ledbetter. Don't be, try to be like anybody else. Just want to follow the Lord. You'll get scared. You'll get discouraged. You'll even quit. And you'll get up and you'll say, you know what? Is there still room for me to serve God? And there always is. Application. Five real quick thoughts. These men are really, they really are on a mission. They're trusting God's call. They're obeying the call. They're depending upon the Holy Spirit. You know, that was enough. They had a church that was behind them, sending them financial support, praying for them. That was enough. They didn't have to have a, a lot of stash of money. They didn't have to have a bank account. They just had God's call. They were blazing a trail. They were doing things that nobody else was doing. They were setting the pace. They were trouncing every enemy. Whatever stopped, tried to stop them, they kept going. They were training, winning and training people to be live free in Christ. That's the work of the ministry. And that's the work of a missionary. I believe it's the greatest work ever. I wish, I wish everyone in this room wanted to be a missionary. You don't have to be, but you ought to want to be. Second point, let me remind you, spiritual warfare is real. First Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says, don't go there, but just listen, be sober. Do you know the verse? Be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, has a roaring lion walketh about. Right now, he's walking about. Walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Spiritual warfare is real. And what can we do? Whom resist steadfast in the faith knowing and believing what you know to be true, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren in the world. Everybody's going through, every Christian who's trying to serve God is going through struggles. Be, care, be, be confident of victory. What was Saul to Elymas and to the demons? Nothing but with Christ and with prayer and with the power of the Holy Spirit. Boy, he says, you're going to be blind for, for a little while and it'll be good for you. Look at uh, 1 John chapter 2. You can leave Acts now. We're finished there. 1 John chapter 2, all the way to the back. Just before Revelation, three quick scriptures. 1 John 2 and verse 14. 1 John 2, 14 says this. I have written unto you fathers, because you have known him that is from the beginning. You've known God. I have written unto you young men, because you are strong. And the word of God abideth in you. And as young men, ye have overcome the wicked one. Amen. Don't sit there and go, I'm a teenager and I'm battling with this. Amen. And I'm struggling with this and I'm, I'm losing the battle. But you can't overcome. There is no reason why you cannot live free and in victory. You're never going to live sinless. But you will not be dominated by that sin, that temptation that keeps to constantly sneaking up on you. So you know in chapter 4, in verse 4, 1 John chapter 4 and verse 4. You know, Chris, what, I, I, I'll give you a little testimony. I know I'm going a little bit long, forgive me. But when I first got saved, when the pastor preached and I saw it in the Bible, I said, that settles it. I believe it. 
And I wish you did that. I wish you saw it and said, I don't have to be defeated. Let me show you another one. 4-4. Four, four. Year of God, little children, and have overcome them, your enemies, because greater is he that is where? Not in your church, not in your pastor, but in you. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Chapter 5 and verse 4, one last one. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world. Even our strength, even our wisdom, even our money. No, no, no. Even our faith. Just believe what God says. And then lastly, almost lastly, keep going. We've only just begun. There is so much of this island here that does not know about Jesus. They don't know him as their only savior. And if you've never started, today's a good day to start. Take a gospel track. Give it away. Enter into the devil's territory and just bring some light into it. Stir it up, man. <laughs> Open your mouth and tell someone that you're born again, that you're a born again Christian. Bill and I are out yesterday, and Bill's a little more careful. I come up and I knock on the door, and somebody opens the door and says, Hi, I'm Craig Ledbetter. I'm the pastor of the Baptist Church here in Valencolic. I'm a born again Christian as the door closes. Doesn't bother me. I know, but I'd much rather somebody knows that I'm being upfront. That's what I am. And if they met me enough, they go, all right, what does it mean to be born again? All right? But don't be ashamed of it. Keep going. And if you haven't started, start. If you've never gotten into the, this thing called Christianity, never been born again, today's the day where you need like. David prayed in Psalm 139. He said, search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me. The best thing that could happen to you this morning is if you came to realize you're wicked. You're lost. And your best thing that ever happened to you was to listen to the chance to be saved today by trusting Jesus Christ. Don't you trust one word I say. Trust what this Bible says. You can be born again. Talk to me after the service. And let's settle it. Stand with me. Let's bow in prayer. Heavenly Father, just thank you for the call that you gave Barnabas and Saul and the examples of what they, you, you took the time to record these things for our learning. You took the time to help us see it's not easy. But boy, there is just one soul that makes it worth it. That's Sergius Paulus. And there's one, there's plenty of souls that are watching us. Whatever we're going through, I pray that, God, we would follow in the footsteps of Barnabas and Saul. By faith, God, we would tear down, cast down any stronghold that the devil set up in our home, in our minds, in our hearts. Lord, so that you can be Lord. And so that people can get saved. I pray for a revival, God. It starts with me. I pray, I pray, God, every one of us would say, Lord, I, I, I'm not a good soul winner. I don't hand out tracts. I don't pray for my husband or wife. There's so much I got to do. Well, good start today. And I pray the Holy Spirit would keep us remembering this is what we do. And this is where we live. This is our victory, even our faith. So we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Grab your hymnal.